Welcome, everybody, once again to the Meanwhile in the Multiverse podcast. It's been a minute, but we're happy and excited to be back with you guys. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Aaron Lanton, and also we have with us Keith Denny. How you doing, sir? How's it going, man? Pretty good. And uh, strange, now that I've finally seen Sorry to Bother You, thanks to Hulu. Finally. Yeah, man. Like well, I meant to watch it while I was still in theaters, and then I, I missed it. You know, that's what happens when you got a, a baby that's so young. What would we do without Hulu? Thanks, Hulu. Be able to see good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it was it was an adventure, man. Like I'm actually really excited to talk about it. I think it's a really important film, but um, I, there are so many things to cover uh, that we thought it kind of deserved its own podcast period so we're gonna jump into that movie like all the way in just a second but before we do that um like what's been going on what you been looking at lately or interested in you talking about um movie wise tv wise just anything wise well i want to get back into watching i know we um our last episode you guys we talked about the um the new titan dc titan show now, that was in the low-key podcast. That was in yep. the low-key podcast, yeah. So, um, check us out with, at the low-key podcast with Tim Malloy. But, um, yeah, we talked about the Titan um, show, and so they gave me an opportunity to watch that. So, I only watched about three episodes, but, I, you know, of course, you know, we thought it was pretty well done. Um, also, on my free time, I've been checking out the um, Castlevania. You haven't finished it? Nah, I mean, I haven't really had time to watch much of it, but okay, I, I said I was going to watch some today after the pod, but there's Castlevania, um, The Dragon Prince is pretty good, you know, for an animated show. Okay. Um, people were comparing it to Avatar. It's made by the same people. Okay. Hmm, so it's, it's it's very, very similar to Avatar. Like, um, it's, so so I, I was um talking to a friend of mine. And I was telling her, like, you know, she was always a big Avatar fan. So I was telling her, like, if you really like Avatar, you got to check this show out. So, yeah. so yeah, that's been on my docket. And I started back reading um, Harry Potter, actually. You said started back. Did you Had you finished the books uh, the first time you were reading through? Actually, no. Nah, I only read um, The Sorcerer's Stone. So I started reading The Chamber of Secrets just to, you know, have something to kind of, I guess, shut my brain down for a second and read. Outside of the more heavy stuff I've been reading. But yeah, that's pretty much it. What what about you? You finally saw Sorry to Bother You. Finally I'm trying saw to get that. you uh, I I've been on all kind of stuff, man. Like I um I'm trying to think. Like so Titans of course. I actually watched six episodes of it. It's pretty good. I, I really do recommend anybody who's interested in, in that universe check it out on D C universe. Uh that was that was pretty on point. Um I man, I've been kinda getting back into social media, but that's such like a, uh, it's like you're always in a dystopian world when you're on there. Yeah. Um, that's, it's that's it's so wild. Um, but most of what I've been doing recently is just trying to, man, really get back into, um, you know, looking at tech stuff. Like I'm really interested in a lot of the, the, the new things that are coming out as far as uh, phones and, and the way AI is going to impact labor and stuff like that. This is not like, really interesting podcast stuff but it's just stuff that i'm like particularly excited about um music wise though there are a couple of good albums coming out including uh jid's new album uh, the guy with dreamville uh the songs he shared so far are pretty on point so I'm, I'm really excited to see what that looks like actually i think the album comes out tomorrow so that should be pretty fun 
Yeah. So see, and of course Thanksgiving just happened, so that was of course awesome. Yeah, I gained about family, five extra that. pounds real quick. Yeah, yeah, I need to I need to get back on that. And also, I don't know if y'all can tell, uh, I'm getting over being sick. Uh, but this is the best time for us to record, so just fighting through it, you know. And also, sorry to bother you, it's fresh in my brain. Just saw it. So I feel like this would be a really opportune time to jump into that. So, um, you know, without any further uh, delay, let's let's hop into it. So I, I guess let, let's begin with the most basic thing. Like, what did you think of the film? Did you enjoy it, not enjoy it? Um, all that jazz. Um, think like I was kind of talking about this earlier that I remember my first reaction of the film was that I really didn't know how to feel about it at first because it's it it, it always dwells on a level of abs, absurdity in a sense. Mm-hmm. But um, I appreciate what I what I felt like it was doing and. I think it's a important movie to have to be added to the African American um, pantheon of films at this time. So why is it important, though? Do you think? For me personally, mm-hmm. I think it's more so per- important because um, I think it's it's showing this dawn of a new era of um, African American filmmaking that's outside of like the um, Tyler Perry era or um, what we might consider to be black movies. Whether it's um, you know, Boys in the Hood or Men's Society or even The Color Purple, in a sense, right? So um, it's it's bringing something else or slave movies. So it's bringing something else to the table. <laughs> I feel. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. well, it's kind of a slave. It's kind of a slave movie, but different, <laughs> but in the Octavia Butler Afrofuturistic type of way. And and I I think that is is it's kind of like showing the beginning of that this era in cinema that we haven't seen yet of um more like sci-fi themes like with this movie with get out with um black panther and i think it's important important movie to have a part of that you know um Isn't it interesting that cassius does kind of seem to play the role like if we were putting this in the pantheon of slave films he is both an auctioneer and an overseer the cash cash is the main character yeah okay. he, he is an auctioneer and an overseer of slaves exactly but um, now, a slave itself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. It's that movie had me. It's like I, I. First off, let me say it's an important film. It's a very important film, and I think it's important because it will be one of the things that filmmakers go back to and say. Is something working or is it not working? Um, and if so, or if not, why? Um, because the people who like this film love this film. And the people who don't like it tend to dismiss it as just like saying too much. Like that's what, I, what I've come across, like going back and reading and listening to what people have said about this film. They say it's trying to do too much. Mm. Um, and Boots Riley himself says that uh, and and I, there was an interview he did with The Ringer on a podcast, and he said that, uh, you know, if anybody who is trying to just say one thing is probably not doing enough, um, he, he wants to say several things in his art. And I think that's fine. The problem, though, for me is because uh, he, he also wrote the screenplay. Yeah. And the problem with 
with it from that perspective is it actually doesn't finish saying anything. Mm. So one of the reasons I feel like this is a problem is so I'm going to use anime as an example because it's really easy. So in Naruto we know that the character, the main character, Naruto, wants to be the Hokage. Like, that's that's his motivation. You know, and, like, everything you do with your characters, like, y'all just want to understand, like, what is their motivation, right? Um, when you look at something like One Piece, Luffy wants to be the Pirate King. Now, what happens if, in a movie, long series, whatever the hell it might be, what happens if your character achieves their, their goal in, like, the first 30 minutes of, like, a... a one and a half hour, two hour, like the, the first fourth of your plot, like what happens then, right? This is something you can't work with, but then that means that there have to be other things plotted around uh, that goal that make it continue to function. One of the reasons Sorry to Bother You ends up becoming like this weird film is because Cassius achieves his goal really fast, right? Like his goal really is he states, is just not to be a nobody. And he doesn't want to be impoverished, and he wants to impress his girlfriend. That's, mm-hmm. like, the extent of his goals. So, like, when he gets that, we actually don't know what's driving him. So, it's kind of hard to understand why when they come up to him and they say, hey, he, he literally says, are we selling slave labor? And the dude's like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, I don't know if I can do Oh, that's a lot of money. Cool. And that's it. It's well, hard to understand what is motivating him to say this is okay. Well, I mean, I can get it because he he lived the majority of his life being impoverished. So once he had a taste of like a little bit of money, he, he naturally wanted more. Like well, what is that? Okay, but look, and, and think about how many drug films we've seen. Like I'm just using this because it's easy to do. Like you look at Scarface or something. Mm-hmm. We see them become different people because of the money. Like they start getting into drugs, a bunch of women involved. Like whatever the hell the vice is, they, they get into the vice. He doesn't even like have a vice that he's addicted to. He just gets a nice car, gets a decent apartment. He pays off his uncle's mortgage or whatever. Yeah, that's the extent of it that we see. Yeah, because he didn't even indulge with other women and stuff outside his girlfriend. It seemed like Mm-mm. even when he was at the sex, the eyes wide shut ass parties he was at. Um, I see what so, you're so, saying. But, so, so the thing has to be what is what is motivating him now? Once he received it, once he achieves his goal, what is his motivation? I think it was just purpose. Like yeah, he says, I'm really good at this, but like, yeah, he's really good at selling people. Yeah, I think I think that's what it comes down to is like for a man to have like some type of purpose. Like, I feel like he felt like, OK, if I stop doing this, then I'll be back to being a nobody and what he defines to be a nobody. And it might not be so much about how much money he was making, but the fact that he was doing it, and he was actually good at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 for example, we can use the NBA and um, the NFL. Let's, well, let's say, let's use the NFL for example, right? Okay. These guys that play football have been playing football their whole entire lives, and I'm assuming they do it because they feel like they're good at it. 
So, I mean, I, okay, so I agree with that, but they're not selling people. No, they're like, not selling people. So, so like the they're not selling people, but you got to think, you got to think their whole lives, they knew that they were good at something. You know what I'm saying? It like, and and it becomes the it becomes who they are. So like, let's say if the NFL, in a sense, did some some very you know unsavory things. Like I don't know everything that goes on with the NFL, honestly. It's not going to be enough for them to be like, oh, okay, so I'm going to stop being affiliated with them and I'm going to stop playing with them. Because okay, so your point, I, let's, let's use the Kaepernick stuff for an example, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I feel like that that's kind of a, a a bad example in many ways. Okay, let's talk about the Ray Rice thing. Ray Rice um, physically abused his wife, was caught on video doing it, and then they kept trying to act like it was okay until the public found out, and then they kept it moving, right? But it's not like players are boycotting. So is that kind of what you're getting at, for example? Yeah, that, and I'm gonna use another example when okay. this when this has been used in fiction. Let's take um, Breaking Bad, Walter White. Okay. His motivations, his main motivations, was to make enough money to live behind, leave behind for his family. So once he started making that, and then some. He still was making and selling crystal meth, and it was because he loved that life and he liked and he was good at it. And prior to that, he felt like a nobody. So it gave him, even though it was immoral, even though it was wrong, it gave his life some type of purpose. And I okay, think so the whole here, deal. Here's, here, here's where I feel like, because you're saying something very important, and that's very true about Breaking Bad. Here's the issue with how that works for Cassius, though. So, I can't remember exactly what we would say the point is where Walter White accepts who he is. But, Cassius The first time he never, killed somebody. <laughs> wasn't probably that first time. He, he kept that moving anyway. Yeah. But, but Cassius never has to address what he's doing. Like... The, the turning point for him as a character and his hesitation isn't really the horse people. It comes a little before that. It comes after the rap at the party. Like, when he is... His breaking point is not selling people. In fact, we don't even see him struggle with it. He sees a number on a sheet of paper. He's like, ooh, that's a lot of money. And he's like, I'm cool with selling people. I'm cool with selling weapons, nukes, whatever the hell it might be, right? But it's not until somebody makes him say nigga shit, nigga shit, nigga, nigga, nigga shit that he starts feeling bad. And it's not. And then remember, like when he was about to walk to the foyer to go meet with uh, the CEO Steve Liff of Worry Free, he sees them everybody making, you know, like laughing at the video of him getting hit with that Coca Cola can walking through the picket line, and that makes him feel bad. So let me actually refer to something that Boots Riley himself said in an interview. So said, where did the idea for the Echoes Sapiens originate from? So this is Boots Riley responding. said a few things. I needed Cassius to see himself. I knew it was getting to the part of the movie. He needs to see who he is. So when he got to the party, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And then the performance, and I thought, okay, this is what going to be what makes him see himself. I sat with that for a day, and I was like, does that make any sense? You have a world in which everybody is accepting slavery, and now he's hawking their labor. I thought, there needs to be something that shakes him to his mortal core. 
somehow I came up with the genetic manipulation idea. But one part of that is just an artist thing. Genetic manipulation has been done. So what what's an animal that has been done and what also makes sense with Steve Lift? And it goes on to talk about why the horse idea was a thing. But my issue is I don't feel like genetic manipulation means anything to this character. Like, why would that be any more messed up than simply using i mean you're still using people like you're not getting them a wage they don't get to live outside that facility like that didn't because the, the moment we see them start breaking is the nigga shit thing if you remember the black character the other black guy played by murray harwick comes up to him and said don't fuck this up don't do that thing he wasn't breaking because of the genetic manipulation it was because his pride as a black man was being challenged even though he'd been doing that white boy stuff the whole time and all of that that's where he started to break. It had nothing to do initially with the genetic manipulation. Somehow that was supposed to be the breaking point, but he's already using people it, yeah. as if they're like just tools. So it, it came off weird to me. Well, I don't I don't know because you got the genetic manipulation first off happens after the nigga shit rap. It does happen so, after the nigga shit rap, but, but he's hesitating prior to that. Yeah, but you write like, and, and based off what um, Boosie Collins would what he said about it, it it made I can see what he's saying. Like I can see how that made you know sense. Like that probably was the first moment when he realized like I'm being used or I'm being manipulated. But you're for, still being used. Like whether you have the genetic manipulation or not, it's just, it's what's being what's happening to people is the same shit. I mean, they're turning them into like they're making them more powerful. In changing the genetic makeup, it's still screwed up. It's screwed up either way. And yeah, there's an additional element, but they're still not being treated as folks with with human rights. You know what I mean? You talking about before you showed them as these um, genetic manipulated horse people? Right? Yeah. So like th- th- that that doesn't make to me like those. That's an additional layer to the fucked up, but it's just as fucked up. You're still treating them as slaves. Let me see how I can put this in the words. Um, and 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 I, I agree with what you're saying, but it's like how I look at it like this. Let's say, let's say, like let's take a drug dealer for example, right? Mm-hmm. Some, not all drug dealers, don't really see the um, the impact that their actions have on other people. Mm-hmm. They just see what they get back from it. They just see okay. the money and the wealth that they get from it. But yep. at the same time, if you were to sit down, but the, you know everybody's different, and you actually see what what crack cocaine does to a person, or what crystal crystal meth does to a person that's close to you or that's connected to you, then it might shift your way of what you think about what but, you're but, doing. But that's not even happening with Cassius. It wasn't somebody that, close to him. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't nobody close to him. That's why it had to be so drastic. I think that's why Boosie Collins made it so drastic to a point. Because he could have just simply had it where, like, I don't know, his girl got stuck with the... But, 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 so, but now we're talking about a circumstance of, like, just convenience. Because, like, if you have slaves, you ain't gonna have them just sitting there in a fight. Like... They're not going to be just out in the open like that in, in a house where you're having an orgy. But, but so skipping that for a second, too, 
there, there was something I mentioned to you before we even got to this. Where I said one of the things that I saw like this weird parallel between, between this and Ender's Game. And this is what I meant by that. I don't know. So people listen is probably, you know, I won't make an assumption you've seen Ender's Game, but but the quick synopsis of it. So huge spoilers here because this is like end, end of the story kind of things. If you've not seen Ender's Game, fast forward about two minutes or, or so. read the book. Yeah, or read the, yeah, the book covers this too. But so I'm about to jump all the way, all the way into spoilers right here. All right, so Ender's Game is about... Um, in Earth, where aliens have invaded, and the Earth has just enough technology to kind of keep the aliens at bay, but, like, it's getting to the point where it's real crucial, and, like, if we don't knock them out pretty soon, like, you know, all humanity is going to be lost. So they start, like, for decades using these kid cadets to figure out, like, who's going to be, like, the best and brightest to kind of help lead uh, humanity to victory against the aliens. So they start training up these young kids. The young kids you know, got all this potential. One of them's called Ender. Ender is like this genius commander strategist type dude. And they put him through all these different simulations and stuff. And eventually they say, okay, we're going to do like these projected tests, like on a computer screen and front of all this stuff. And like, you'll get to run these simulations as if we're like, we're really going against the aliens. Well, what happens at the end is they give him like the hardest simulation possible. And just like, I got to do like these really unconventional strategies and like, man, this is the only way we can win. Like, I actually have to, like, send tens of thousands of our soldiers, like, right into, and, like, sacrifice them, like, into this strategy, like, they never anticipate, and then, like, I'll do this other thing, and then we'll win. And he does it, and humanity wins, and all the adult uh, military people, like, freaking out and crying and shit, and, like, oh, my God, I can't believe Ender did it. He's like, well, what are, what are y'all freaking out about? And he's like, you did it. You just, you you won against the queen. You killed the 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 enemy. Like humanity is saved. And he's and like, he, wait, wait. He man. thought he was playing a game, right? Yeah, he was like, that's why it's called Ender's Game. He's like, that wasn't a simulation. They're like, no, you just did it. You. So he's like, wait a minute. So you just had me kill tens of thousands of human soldiers, and I just committed genocide. Holy shit! Now there's a lot of reasons. It's a really interesting story, but the reason I bring up Ender's Game is, imagine a situation where you do sorry to bother you, but you don't like. Cassius actually doesn't know what he's doing. Like, one of the reasons this film, for me, is kind of weird is because Cassius is so quick to accept that he's selling people. Like, he doesn't need convincing outside of money. And it makes it, like, really weird to understand where his morality suddenly is coming from. We don't actually know what his motivations are. It's not totally clear, because he's not Every his the way he sways is basically based on uh, Detroit, who is the girlfriend played by Tessa Thompson. Like even how she, because the thing is, at some point we it happens off screen. We don't see it. She mentions uh, when they're laying in bed together not long ago. He got the new apartment from the new job. We worry free that you're selling slaves. I'm like, oh, I remember him telling her that, but. It's like this thing where there's a huge difference between like not between going through the picket line and being a scab and selling slaves. That's a huge, huge jump. And it's treated with like, I don't know, like it it, it feels so weird. Like I don't, it's hard for me to buy where Cassius is coming from because I don't understand what makes him tick. Like 
what makes it cool or okay to go that route. Like, even selling drugs is not selling slaves. Like, that, that, that takes a certain sort of coldness, you know, to do something like that. And I want to understand what that means for him because as it functions right now, every character in this film functions as a symbol of something rather than as a character. But I, I think that's what it is. I also, I think, I mean, just to to add to him as a character, I think it's just the disconnection of the action. Like, for example, we understand they selling people or whatever, right? Okay. But they're, they're also selling weapons. Mm-hmm. So how he... How is how is um presented to him is in a way like okay yeah it is what it is, but it might not be all that bad at the same time like and he looking at how much money he gonna make from it. Well, but to me that's no is, that's says, no different. He says basically the people doing the um the strike aren't going to impact slave labor and they can't do nothing about it and he's just living in this world that we have. Yeah, and he was pretty much like so what isn't um what job isn't slave labor to an extent. Right. And so and and also so he he came up with ways to get over it. But that's to me that's also comparable to Tony Stark's Iron Man. He was making weapons of mass destruction and selling uh-huh. them to the highest bidder. So in a sense he was pretty much a villain up until a point that he really saw what his weapons did to people. Right. So I think that's what it is. It's like sometimes there's like this disconnect to like what you're actually doing and how it's really affecting people because you're not in the thick of it. But then when you see it, it's like, oh, sh- this is serious. Oh, shit. Like when he saw that horse person, can't nothing, <laughs> can't nothing shift your brain when you see somebody like that in that, that, that state and then also suffering. You know what I mean? So that's how I got. That's where I get from. I just, I, don't know, I feel like, like that's, that's what made that shift for him. The problem, so the only thing is, be, because this is explicitly a film from a black point of view, yeah, and there's explicit mentions of slavery. It, it just it feels weird that this dude cannot see himself as an auctioneer and, and an overseer. Like, you could basically do this whole film and set it in some way, like, back to the 1850s and just say it's some sci-fi shit and say that you can inject somebody with something and they turn into a horse, it'd be the same damn film in a lot of ways. But, like, it, I don't know, like, this, it's, it's such a strange disconnect because they don't... I don't know, like, I, it, it's hard for me to feel like... Like, I'm willing to buy this understanding that you have a disconnect between the characters, but I don't understand. Like, okay, for example, um, with, with Detroit, right? The girlfriend. Who was the girlfriend. Yeah. We don't really get a sense of what makes her tick either, right? So, it's like, she is kind of all over the place as a character where... And it's unfortunate. This is something that that where I feel like you can feel that we didn't have enough women in the creative process for the film mm. because she's not really given much agency. She f- functions primarily almost like as a a hipster fantasy and the, like her fashion and 
she doesn't really have a moral core that she sticks to. Like, I don't know what her motivations are. There's a point up until when we see her at the um, at her art gallery when she's doing her performance. It seems like she may have been impacted by Cassius, where you know she talks about Mother Earth and this and that, and Africa, and, and you know we're trying to do this and show how African labor was uh, exploited and this and that. And then when Cassius mentions, "Well, you're just selling art to to rich people, like that ain't gonna change nothing." When she does that performance, it feels like she's just like, "I'm just going through this to to stick to the script," because she tells him, "Stick to the script." You know how it is. Like when we were both working there, stick to the script. It feels like there's something in her that's changing too, but we don't get a sense of really what that is because she's just kind of blowing in the wind. Like I don't, I don't understand what what she's the person who probably impacts Cassius the most. But and I guess she was supposed to be a moral center, but she doesn't feel like one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think she just represents kind of like what you're saying, like kind of like this hippie, like um, free spirited character in a sense. And kind of like, I don't even think like even her fight the power mentality that she starts having later on is more because because you know how it kind of feels like like, you know, how you have certain people that get be a part of something because it becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I was feeling because she didn't come off that way at the beginning of the film. She didn't, which makes the rest of it feel strange because I like. I honestly I, I don't, think, I don't know. What um, it, like, okay, let's say you take her out of the film. Like, how much of the film actually changes? Not too much. That's what's kind of weird about it because I, don't, I don't understand. He don't even don't make decisions same. based off of her presence. Yeah, and like, like and so the guy squeezed the the um uh, Asian I guy. Yeah, the Asian guy, um, Steve, I forgot his last name. But, he, you know, guy was in The Walking Dead and all that other stuff. Glenn from The Walking Dead. Yeah, so (laughs) them having a sexual relationship, I didn't understand what that was supposed to do in the film. Like, it doesn't serve a purpose. I think, honestly, I'm going to be honest, I think it would just show something about her as a character, honestly. That that's what just, does that show? Like, I, I well, don't, well, let me explain. Let me let me explain. Maybe because I had an ex that's like her. <laughs> so so her character felt so believable. I'm like, damn, I know somebody like that. But it's just like <laughs> she don't really know herself in a sense, which okay. is probably why her and Cassius are connected in that way. Because okay. both of them operate outside of a purpose in a sense, like. She she kind of want to be an artist, but then she didn't really know what she wanted to do. And I really feel, honestly, like she was inspired by Squeeze to even be, like, have that mentality, like, oh, we're going to fight the power, go against the status quo. But, but so she I think, was already, so to be fair, she was already kind of on that before. It, it feels like whoever she thought the rebel was, a revolutionary was, in her eyes at that moment, that's who she was down with. Yeah, like, she was just interested in it. You know what I'm saying? But then Squeeze also opened her eyes more into it, which would in turn made her attracted to him because it was just something new to her. And I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I, that's just why I got from her. I think that's just her character. Like, But so, but my thing is, I, I had, look, from a screenplay perspective, the things that happen in a plot, like, 
if I don't understand the goals of the character, I don't understand the actions they decide to make. So, you know, if a character is like, I believe in God, right? Then and, and they they reach like a really hard decision. Then you know that one of their core beliefs is in God, and that's going to steer what they end up doing, right? Mm-hmm. Or if somebody's like. I have to be the very best at this particular thing. They're going to try, you know, you might see a montage of them trying their hardest or whatever it is, but like, you you know, like, what's driving them, what's that fire inside of them that's telling them either it's okay to, like, give up on your morals because of this or to work hard because of that, whatever it is. Like, you don't, it's hard to, like, watch films and feel attached to people who, like, they're doing shit and you don't, like, get by they're doing it. Mm. Or like you don't like so for example like the, the movie chooses to focus on things that end up like not they, they probably shouldn't really be that important the reason i thought like the the genetic manipulation with the horse stuff was i mean like it's it's shocking but it's like that that would shake cash is kind of weird because it's like you already like you didn't give a fuck about human rights before that so like why like what and i get seeing it is different because it's like oh that's what it means when you don't have rights we can turn you into horse people, okay? But at the same time, like, there are other examples of things happening that, like, the screen, uh, the screenplay is so obsessed with that it's not thinking through what the, some of the stuff means. So, like, if you're going to do a picket line, right, Worry Free is supposed to be one of the biggest corporations in the world. Now, typically, a company that has, like, a, like, uh, Worry Free, so the call center was for, what they call it? Um, it was some other company. Random um, staff or something like that. So what, let's just call it, uh, what, the call center is a separate company from Worry Free. Worry Free is in one of the top floors, whatever. Worry Free would have other offices. So, if you're keeping the power calls from going in, they just go to another office. Like, that's not a big deal. In fact, they work from home because technology exists and stuff, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are ways to impact people being to work from home and other stuff, but that requires like knowing people who aren't just call center people, maybe some IT folks, maybe some connections with executives, having some dirt on some people, like some some a little more detailed than just keeping people from walking into an office building. So it's like they just like the image of the picket line. And so it just that actually ends up not being super impactful. Well, it shouldn't have been for a company that large. And that adds it's, to what, what Cash has told Detroit. Like, what are they really doing anyway? Well, but but I, I'm just saying, it doesn't, it, it's not, the picket line is supposed to be important in this film because it's supposed to be like a base of operations. But like, that picket line is really for the call center, not for worry-free. Yeah. Like, they would have several call centers they use. You know, I'm like, it's not, it was call center companies. It wouldn't be one. Like, and they even say when they get to the top area, like, technically, he's not working for Worry Free. Steve Liff at that, at that party is trying to get him to work for Worry Free. Yep. See what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, there are these weird things that, like, they don't really think through all the way. And I'm like, damn, like, it's not... Even the way they, the structure of it is set up from from how these companies work, like, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, I just find myself being, like, just not understanding 
how they didn't want to think through that a little deeper because they're always to impact stuff and it takes a bunch of like weird stuff but like a picket line on its own wouldn't do anything hell i can work remotely in my job i gotta go i mean i can be in the office i mean that's ideal for a bunch of reasons but like if I, if somebody were to block me from getting into the building my like people in my manager ain't gonna be like oh i guess you just can't work i'm like no nah, work at home bro yeah I don't know. It, I just felt like they should have thought through some of these things in a little more detail. It, it's it's just it felt like there was just like a real obsession with having certain things happen because it was supposed to be that way. Like this this felt like if that in the seventies that makes sense. Like you doing that, but in the era where they're doing they're doing genetic manipulation, I'm pretty sure they got Wi Fi. So it just felt weird. What did you think about that 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 rap scene though? To like, I like mean, the part of the nigga shit, bro. Yeah. Um, I felt like I, I kind of because you watched it in the theater, right? Yeah, I watched it in the theater. I, I felt like this. I, I guess I felt it. like if I was put in that situation, I would feel like very, very uncomfortable. But also, it shows something about Cassius as a character to even get out there to do it in the first place, because I wouldn't have did it. I'd be like, um, hell no, I'm not going to do this to entertain No, but, but, but given who the character is, I mean, I, I guess but, at that point. You know what I'm saying? Given who the character is, I, I can see why he did it, you know? Because he pretty much was the whole movie kind of like being string along. It's kind of like he was like that a donkey with a, a carrot in front of him, you know? Mm-hmm. So they were able to con- consistently string him on throughout the whole story. How did the audience in the theater react to that scene? I can't remember. I seen it when it first came out, and um, I think I saw it at a matinee, so it wasn't that many people in there with me. Mm. So I can't, I can't really remember. But um, I've I've been that guy at a college party in the room where everybody's like, "Hey, tell us about this black thing that happened to you while you were living in black neighborhoods growing up as a black kid." And you're like, um, "Oh, they do that for real?" Yes, yes, they do. Oh, they do the whole hey dance, dance man. You're you're the black guy. You can dance. You got rhythm, right? You're like whoa, hey, hey, like, calm down, there. I'm like, no, I don't. So I mean, fuck I you. do, but I won't for you. I'll be like, no, I don't. So <laughs> fuck you. Well, but I mean, I know you can dance. I just say that I couldn't dance. I know you can dance because of how you danced at your wedding. Nah. I said, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> nah, this boy nah, can I, dance. I, I don't do it when uh, upon request unless uh. I guess you never had a reason to be out dancing. <laughs> yeah, I get. Yeah, we don't really be out at bars like this. Yeah, so I was like, "Well, damn." But um, but now nah, you know what I'm saying. They try to treat him, treat him like he's like some type of monkey or something, or a coon. Like dance for me, coon. Rap for me, coon. <laughs> Come out, boy. It, it was kind of funny how. Uh, <laughs> so he. Uh, <laughs> When he was calling him, he was calling Cash just like like a slack raccoon and like a a snake or something. And then later he was like, when he was offering him the money, he said, I need somebody who will stab their friends in the back. You know, just like you did. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. Look, man, my coworkers are my coworkers. I'm cool with some of them. But I wouldn't say if, like, I went through a picket line and my coworkers didn't. 
that that be stabbing them in the back. I get. I mean, I get. It depends on what your priorities are there. I think. I think the stabbing the back part came in was that they had started a um a union, and he made it seem like he was gonna be a part of the union, but he didn't. <laughs> I but, think but, that's. But, I think that's the stab in the back part. Like it was more like, uh, I'ma do this, but no, I'm not really. Like I'm really not on board. So he wasn't about his word with that. He didn't stand up with them, especially because well, you know he was going going in the in the office initially to like go, you know, pretty much say, you know, fuck them, fuck this job, until they told him he was gonna be promoted to a power caller, and that just changed. But everything. but I guess that's the question though. Like when you're in a union. I don't know this offhand, but like, let's say you're talking about um, uh, people who put together automobiles, right? Yeah. Now, the people who are hands-on with the vehicles, they're in the union, but I don't think that means management is in the union. Now, he's not necessarily management, but like, he'd be somebody on a different tier that they're promoting. So I don't even know if he'd technically be part of that. So, th- that has to be him going, well, I'm going to get paid what you guys get paid, but I'm straight. That's actually, one of the things actually was really funny, the only number they ever show you in the whole film is that $100 million to be the horse Martin Luther King Jr., and it's $100 million. And it, I kind of had this reaction, like, that I had when, I, you know, you find out how much uh, politicians are getting paid to, like, vote on certain things, like the NRA. Like, it'd be dudes getting given, like, $20,000, When you say horse Martin Luther King Jr., I think you need to explain that a little bit. <laughs> oh, for the people who ain't seen the film? Yeah, I mean, we, we're oh, assuming oh, oh, that oh, everybody's oh, seen so this. The, <laughs> in the film... Uh, when he finds out about the horse people, he's sitting down with the the head of <coughs> excuse me, the head of Worry Freeze, which is the big company we've been talking about in the film. And he says, "Look, I want you to go in, and when they're turning, when we are as a company turning humans into horses, horse people, um, I want you to infiltrate their group and and, and turn into a horse person." And become like their leader on the inside, and and become like their model of King Jr. So basically, you manufacture the the uh, whatever kind of social revolution that occurs before it even happens. That way, we're ahead of it in controlling where that message goes. Which is pretty smart. Well, it is. I mean, uh, I mean, if that was. <laughs> But but what's but a hundred million? He's he's saying I'm gonna give you a hundred million dollars for five years to do this. And what's so funny about that? I'm like a hundred million dollars is not a lot of money, given. For five years, many, that's a lot of money. Does that mean I'm gonna give you a hundred million dollars every no, five years? The reason I say that's not a lot of money is because that's not even a lot of money to an NBA player right now. So that that's lowballing. Twenty million dollars a year to be a horse person? No, dog. You put a B on that. No, I thought he was giving him $100 million every year for five years. No, over five years. Hey, Even shit. that's not enough. I mean, for mo- some people, that would be enough. No, Because no. you got to look I mean, at look, You talk look, about look, NBA players. You know how I feel about sports. A lot of them sell outs anyway. That, okay. Look, 
Okay, but that's not comparable to what we talking about. Well, I'm saying I, I feel mean, like, like I feel like a good majority of them, if they had the opportunity to sell slaves, they probably would also. But okay, all right, all right. So so let's get into this. Let's get into this because I want you to explain what you mean by that. But I'm saying I mean that like, I'm saying that a lot of about the difference between somebody literally selling people. I'm saying somebody, like people people out here. There's a lot of people who don't have any um, moral ground, you know, for the most part. And there's a lot of things that's that's been going on even recently where, like, people who have a platform to speak up on, they don't speak up. And I'm not necessarily saying all of those people are the t- same type of people that will sell people, but they'll definitely sell their people out. And they'll definitely uh, sit back and let those things happen. Okay, so and I think out of that, I would challenge you on that. This, this, this is why I would challenge you on that. So, like with Kaepernick, yeah. right? Uh huh. So he did speak out, and um, now I'm not saying he shouldn't do it. I'm just I'm putting this in the bluntest way possible at this moment, right? Yeah. So he did speak out. He's no longer able to play in the NFL, and nothing changed as far as the things that he was protesting against. So my question would be, what would you have an athlete do to impact change with the platform they have? Given what we just saw Kaepernick do, he speaks out, loses his job, loses the platform essentially. What what would you what would be ideal in your mind for athletes to do? I mean, there are certain situations that come up. The thing is they're not even related to the game. They're related to society. So it's not like the game is causing these things to occur. I do think there are things that, that the game does that impacts you. But as far as police brutality, say, for example, that has nothing to do with football. So what would you have them do in these given in these current events, right? Like, what would you say? I think most more people could speak up and support Kaepernick. Now, at the same time, it's all about what you believe in. Like, if you don't have the, the moral grounding to support that, then you just like the cashers of the world. But you never changed and never tried to do nothing after the fact. But, but so, so, in this case, and, and my but, thing but, but is cashers' like, job directly expedite, expedites the process of spreading slavery and turning people into horses. Like that's that's his job is to do that. You know what I mean? Like I feel like this. It's it's. I feel like I'm gonna put it this. I put it than, this way though. We don't know how this world became the way that it is in this movie. It's a dystopian okay. world. Uh huh. But one thing about stuff like that, for it to ever have gotten to that point, it was because a lot of people didn't do shit about something. Mm-hmm. So it could have been gradual. It could have been just as simple as like people just like, you know. It could have been just like the world that we live in now. Well, it could have been like what we saw happen after he tried to expose stuff. Because remember, after he did, the company got larger, and and uh, Steve Lift was was being called Jesus and stuff. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's definitely meant to mimic things in the current day in an absurd level. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, and I, I guess I just don't see why. I think if enough people stand up about something, especially people who have a platform, it really does change things. 
But um, before that to happen, everybody got to be on the same accord and also feel that this is morally wrong. And if I have the space to speak up on it, I'm going to do it. Like uh, my I'm, only my like, only issue with that is that is true if you are directly impacting that particular situation, right? So if this were a bunch of cops doing that, that's one thing. But a bunch of athletes doing that as it relates to police brutality is another thing altogether. Like those jobs don't intermingle in any way. True. And so that that's the only issue with that. Like, so if something was happening in athletics, like let's just say, and this does happen where, where for example, with college football and players not getting paid and all this money is going to all oh, the, all these fat guys' pockets. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's like sports is like one of the largest entertainment industries in the country. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's affected, and it affects those all these corporations and all these owners' pockets. They ain't going to have no choice but to do something. But the owners, I can tell you for a fact, like 90% of the owners, and it's a higher number than 90%, their main source of income has nothing to do with sports. Like, you're impacting their pockets, but, like, it's not to the point where they just got to be, oh, man, I guess what are we going to do? Because the players, at the end of the day, so the, the distribution lies with the owners. The players are the product. And they can't create a source of income simply by being the product. Like, the relationships are set up such that if the players, let's just say, for example, tried to set up their own league, ESPN ain't going to sign them because they got deals with the owners and those relationships are important to those people, along with all the other networks. So, and this includes, like, online streaming stuff. It's, 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 there are ways to gradually make some of those things happen. But, you know... I mean, you can impact your arena. Like, you know, if doctors all started, you know, doing certain things, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll impact the NRA, even though you're seeing more people in the medical field speak up about gun violence and, like, how much stuff they're seeing. There are things that happen very specifically within a certain sector that will impact that sector. But I don't – athletics – are loud. Yeah, but athletics, and they get headlines, but that doesn't mean that they move business, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and athletics is is I mean, I don't know, like I said, I don't know much about football or basketball, but could it arguably be said that the majority of players of African they're African American or of African descent? Of certain sports, certainly. Yeah. Well, and we're talking way. about football and basketball then. Yeah. So what happens if all African American football and basketball players just stop playing? Nothing regarding uh, policy against police brutality. I don't know. I beg the deal. I mean, like, look. I'm, I'm because you, because you got to think, like, these corporations, all these big companies, they run the country. They don't, they're not going to sit here and, and let all that money leave from them. From you, All your best players are gone now. Yeah, they'll probably try to, you know, be like, okay, we're going to get some some of these guys to play or whatever. It's not going to be the same. And they're going to take, they no. take a hefty hit. And then, then the question is, like, why are all these players not playing anymore? Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that that's placing too much. Of, there's a huge, like I said, you know, 
People it makes love it a lot it. more sense. If, if, if a huge portion of a police department stops working because of this, this would not happen. But if a huge portion of a police department stopped working because they see dirty cops doing dirty things, then that impacts stuff. That's not the same as athletes stopping because they don't impact policy. They That's not... Those things don't really connect that way. That'd be like saying if Black Hollywood, when I say Black Hollywood, like the the producers, the directors, the actors, they just say until something happens with policy regarding police brutality, we're not going to work. Well, then they're just not going to work. That'd be completely different, though. How? Because those people have platforms, too. Yeah, but that, but, but this is the thing. This is, the, the difference is that they don't make that much of the, the majority of the films that we see. Like African American filmmakers and actors and actresses stop acting, there'll just be a portion that we won't that that we just won't have. But black people gonna still watch movies. Black like I mean, white, what, other what other ethnicities gonna still be making movies, but the sports industry is pretty much fueled by black bodies. Right. So but what's that have to do with policy? Because if all the black, if if you ain't got no black person playing in them games, that it it might not change it all back. Don't get me wrong, but the people who are in the head, that's the head of these teams and stuff, they're gonna want to have these players back. I so and they're gonna they're I, gonna push this. for change themselves. It might not be authentic. They might not really really give two shits about it. But they gonna want there to be changed so that this can be rectified so that they can get their players back. I'm interested in this idea and what would happen. The only play, at least as far as this film is concerned, and, and doing that comparison, Cassius is direct. I, I see. I, I think you give more credence to the idea that he's just into it and he's not thinking ahead and he doesn't see it, so he doesn't. Um, he he doesn't think about its impact because he can't see the consequence. You get more credence to that than I do because I feel like he is literally selling the people and he is literally selling the weapons, which is directly impacting everything else. I would say athletes, I can't even say they indirectly impact policy on things like what Kaepernick is protesting against. One of the issues with it in the first place, the protest was, the action of the protest has to be connected to something that leads to the change. So my thing would be not just straight up boycotting, but boycotting or making a uh, uh, some kind of joint message as players. However, however you want to do that, that says this is the action we want to see, not just simply protesting or boycotting like that by itself leads to no action and it just pisses people off and, and actually is ineffectual. The, but literally, whether they play or don't play, that police brutality is going to continue. You know, unless they do something with, with a very direct plan. The protest had no plan, so therefore nothing consequential happened because of it. The thing I'm saying with, with Cassius is the idea that we don't know his motivation as a character outside of... And he, he actually accomplishes his goal super early. I want to make sure I can pay off 
my uncle's mortgage. I want to make sure I'm not a nobody more that I feel important. That's accomplished really fast. And from there, we don't know what drives him at all outside of ego. And so him saying, I'm okay with selling people is really hard to get behind. And, and not even just to get behind, but to understand. I don't know why this character is doing what he's doing. He is the reason that it's continuing. Or, or that it's not just continuing. He's, as they say, expediting it. He is making them grow faster and faster above their competitors. And so he doesn't have to grapple with that. No one pushes him on that. Even Detroit mentions it, but she just mentions it to say, I'm going to break up with you if you keep going to work. That's not pushing him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was my issue with how that functions. And, and I just felt like the film, it, it's it's going to be important for filmmakers for a bunch of reasons. For it, It's pushed to Afrofuturism, sci-fi, um, it, its ability to really shock. It, it, it's, uh, it's really great director. I, I feel like it was executed really well uh, visually uh, and from the standpoint of trying new perspectives. Like when the call center stuff, when he's in the um, actually in the room with the people he's talking to, I thought that was fantastic. Really great stuff, but uh, on that part. My issue is it does not actually make us grapple with the things that actually bother the characters. It's actually just wanting us to understand them as symbols and representing things as symbols. They don't actually grapple with the consequences of anything they do. Even like Detroit sleeping with with the two guys here, there's no real... Like, we, we don't see her, like, really... We don't, we don't understand why she did it or, like, if there's... Or anything, it's just kind of there. That there's nothing where people are being challenged on what they believe, and I think that's something that going forward, um, for black cinema, I want to see a lot more of. If people are taking like these really bold risks or drastic actions, I want to see and understand like why they're willing to do that. Like I don't understand why Cash is so willing to give up his his so-called morals because I don't know if he has any. It's unclear. Outside of him just being like a kid that's going along with stuff and wants to have some money. Yeah. I agree. So. I don't know, man. I think uh, we can start getting ready to close out. Um, but closing thoughts on your end. What do you think? I, I, I definitely say those would be mine. Yeah, like like I said, I overall like the film. I'm glad that you finally watched it. <laughs> So, so we can have this conversation because I've been like, ah, oh man, it's like the perfect thing to talk about. Um, wasn't sure what direction we can go with it, but yeah, I think it was good. It's one of the movies I probably never watch again unless I had to. Um, you know, but but I think it was it was good for what it was what it was working working what um he the director was trying to do as an artist. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like I said. Uh, oh, excuse me. Like you said, really, this film is gonna open up opportunities for people to do all kinds of other creative things and do all kinds of stuff. I, you know, but I really want in the future to understand why a black man would be willing to sell slaves and be an overseer. Like that. That just seems re- like it is most core concept. I, mean, I don't. The fact that we never really grapple with that is just annoying. Because mm-hmm. if we saw this in another film, we'd be like, oh, this is so weird. Why is this 
dude in the 1850s selling these people. He's so evil. Those people are always considered evil to us. And, like, we're supposed to root for him. And I'm okay with that idea to some degree. But, like, help me understand why he's willing to do it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but but what's what's any more different than seeing the guy in the 1800s in the past being willing to do it? That's what I'm saying. I don't think there is a difference. But the film doesn't really grapple with with his his choice. It's just he's doing it until oh no, horse people. Hell, the thing is, you could do the same movie and just say we turn everybody, we're not even turning people into anything. We're just like replacing them with robots, which is actually realistically finna happen. People aren't going to genetically be modified. They're going to be replaced with robots. It's just, and then they just out on the street and homeless. That's what's really about to happen. Yeah, and, and I so, think I think ultimately, to wrap up, why I even think about Cash as a, as a character, I think he just overall just represents um, the sellout to his people, the overseer, the drug dealer or anybody who just does things for his own benefit and not have his humanity in check. I just, you know, honestly, I say this though, with that in in mind, I kind of wish everything that happened as far as the end, you know how like he was going around to all those people and trying to, you know, not exploit, but to show, oh, look what they're doing. And then he uh, helps the people escape, the horse people escape and all that, right? I kind of wish that had been him already accepting the contract. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that way it would have been like a a thing where it, it just, I don't know, that would have felt more like a, a thing that felt more clever, like, and, and like it made more sense for what he was doing. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to believe that he's turning there, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. That that. Ah, whatever. It, it's something to debate in, in more detail later. But like I said, I, I uh, this movie drove me crazy in a lot of ways. But uh, you know, definitely worth a, a good conversation though. Oh uh, yeah. But anyway, guys, thanks for staying with us this long. <laughs> definitely, and uh, please uh, give us a review. Listen to the joints uh, in the past. Check out the Low Key podcast with myself, Keith, and Tim Malloy. Uh, also talking about all kind of things in media and um, societal um, analysis, so on and so forth. But we're going to get out of here. We'll holler at y'all in the next one. Okay. Peace.